Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 14 and 13 Detroit Pistons. Uh, ben, Joseph Sinke, better known as Joe Truck, and I knock down the question of whether or not Reggie Jackson should come off the bench. We go over Andre Drummond's steady but uneven production this year, and we laud the changes to the starting lineup. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what uh, y'all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season, unlike the Pistons subreddit. Uh, with all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? Doing good, Laz. Somehow the Pistons are still above 500, so I'll take it. How are you doing? I'm doing well, keeping keeping our heads above water. Uh, but we are joined today by a third guest. Our, our other guest writes at uh, hashtag basketball. He is the host of the Hashtag Pistons podcast. He has his own blog, uh, truckthoughts.com, but he is also a moderator of our Detroit Pistons, so he's not all that great. It's uh, Joseph Sinke, uh, also known as Joe Truck. What's up, Joe? What up, boys? Nice to be here. Uh, Detroit Bad Boys is a cool blog, even though I write for Piston Powered, too. Like, I, I don't hate you guys. Some people do. Rivals. Well, you guys are always positive about stuff more often than not, and I appreciate that. I haven't seen you write anything at Pistons Powered in like a, a minute. When was the last time you did something over there? Well, I pretty much do the bare minimum, so I have to write like one article a month there. So, and, and that's pretty much what I did. I don't even know what the last one I wrote was. I think it was probably something about, um, it was probably something about Reggie Jackson, but I don't know for sure. I'm not the worried about it either. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I don't think any piston powered editors listen to this podcast, so I think you're okay. I mean, like we have a lot of like pistons powered emeritus editors that probably listen to this, but like any of the current people, nah, they don't know. We just build. Yeah, I'm sure them. no. I'm sure no one will see it. Uh, anyways, yeah, <laughs> they're not that observative most of the time. Observative is that a is that a word? It observant? is. I just made it up. All right. Oh, it's observative for sure. <laughs> All right. So thanks for coming on, Joe. Uh, we had a uh, underwhelming week, I think, in Detroit basketball. Losses to Philadelphia and Charlotte. Um, salvaged uh, go staying above 500 with a win over Boston last night. I think the the dominant theme of this week was like a, ne- a necessary change to something within the uh, the starting lineup. We finally got that on uh, last night on Saturday when Reggie Bullock returned and started alongside Luke Kennard. Um, Luke Kennard played his way into the starting lineup with the way he played against Philadelphia early in the week, career high 28 points. Um, just a ridiculous offensive uh, display. So Ben, we'll go with you first. What are some, uh, in your mind, what are some pros and cons of the lineup change that we've seen? Yeah, so this has been my preferred starting lineup, I think, since the preseason. Uh, my thought has been, if you're going to go with Blake Griffin, you might as well put your best shooters around him, and that's essentially what they did. Um, and with these two guys, the, the ball's a lot likely to go in the basket. So um, when the ball goes in the hoop, things just look and feel a lot better. Um, you mentioned this week was underwhelming. The The Philly game obviously was. That was just basically a throwaway. I mean, the lineup that they put out there, there was no chance the Pistons were going to win that one. Um, Charlotte, I thought there were some good things. I mean, obviously choking down the stretch hurts, um, you know, but they were at least competitive. And then obviously a big win, at, uh, a big win against the Celtics. So uh, I think the starting lineup change makes a lot of sense. GR3 just hasn't been getting it done. 
Uh, the change was warranted. I think this gives you your, your best offensive uh, five uh, pretty much. And I think um, this gives the Pistons the best chance to win. Joe, what were, uh, what were your thoughts on the starting lineup? Um, I mean, this has also been my preferred starting lineup since before the season. I knew that they were going to start Stanley Johnson just because of the way they talked this off season, but I was kind of like, yeah, this is probably what we should go with. Um, one thing that I think a lot of people underestimate with having Bullock and Kennard on the floor together is that everyone focuses on the shooting and rightfully so both those guys are really high level shooters. But the other thing is that both of those guys can pass. And when you think about it, um, you know, so you've got those two on the wings. Both of them are plus passers. Blake Griffin's obviously one of the best passing big men in the league. Andre Drummond's not a bad passer. Reggie Jackson's not a bad passer. And when you've got five guys on the floor who are all good, smart passers, and they mostly seem to like each other, so it becomes infectious. And one of the numbers that stood out from their game against the Celtics is they had an assist percentage of 64% on the season. They've only been at like 53 or 54 uh, so that really stood out to me is that it's not just the shooting. It's also the fact that you've got two guys on the wing who are really high IQ passers and really willing passers. And the ball movement just looked infinitely better than it has at other points this season. So that really stood out to me. I will say that my concern, this was not my preferred lineup. I guess I'm alone in that on this podcast. But uh, my concern with the bullock Canard wing group was always defensively. But after watching this team for 25-plus games, defense is not, like, really the issue with this team. And so I have, like, my reservations about, uh, you know, how this lineup will hold up defensively against, like, a Giannis, which we'll see tomorrow, or, like, a Ben Simmons, who we won't see at all this season, hopefully, or, uh, or like, a, a Kawhi or somebody like that. Um, that's less important right now. Uh, the main thing that this team needs is to just consistently score points. And I think this lineup gives them the best chance to do that. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with this uh, as well. Um, I think bringing up the passing was a good point, Joe. Reggie Bullock is, uh, I think he's underrated as a passer, but like Luke definitely does not get enough credit um, for his passing ability simply because like he doesn't tend to warp the defense with his passing, right? He just like hits open dudes. And, like, that sounds really simple. Sounds like something uh, every NBA player should be able to do. But it's something that, like, Stanley Johnson can't always do. Something that Glenn Robinson III can't always do. Uh, And so uh, I think that's something that's very valuable uh, added to to the team. I will say, though, I was frustrated with Casey's reluctance to put the starting lineup back in the game to close against Boston. I didn't really understand that. Is that where you were going, Ben, or someplace else? Oh, no, I was just going to say Luke moving without the ball adds another layer. I think he does that probably better than anyone else on the team. But, yes, harp away on that uh, fourth quarter against Boston because, yeah, that deserves to be talked about. So I, I understood the thought process for a little bit, right? Like Casey is a defensive-minded guy. He wants to close out the game by stopping the other team from scoring points. And like, that is understandable. But, you know, Joe, at the end of the day, like you can also win games by outscoring people. And the starting lineup that they employed against Boston is designed to do that. So you could just also continue to do that as well. And I don't understand why Casey doesn't get that. Well, you know, when I want to play defense, Jose Calderon is the guy that I call, you know, (laughs) 38 year old Jose Calderon. He's a real defensive stopper. Um, especially for a guy like Kyrie Irving. So that's definitely who should be on the floor for that situation. And the better part about him is that he's not really like, you know, spry enough to be an effective ball handler up the floor against pressure. So you've really got a double whammy. He's able to not really defend anybody, and he also can't get the ball up the court, and they turn it over constantly. So it's really a nice combination with Jose Calderon on the floor at the closing of the game. So I will say that Marcus Smart is like uniquely – suited to pressure uh non-main ball handlers in a way that would uh definitely like negatively impact the pistons not every team like has a dude who's going to cause as much havoc as marcus smart does and so like that's a little less relevant against most other teams but like if you're going with whatever the game plan is like you should just continue to to do that and not play jose calderon 20 plus minutes (laughs) i don't i don't understand 
uh, that actually kind of leads us into our next thing, which is uh, Reggie Jackson has uh, frustrated a lot of Pistons fans and the cries for him to uh, come off the bench have grown louder. Um, we talked about this. Ben and I talked about this a little bit uh, late last week on the podcast. Uh, our good friend David Fernandez on his podcast, Inside the Cylinder, uh, subscribe and rate that podcast as well. Uh, they had they spoke a great deal about uh, Reggie Jackson coming off the bench in uh, their podcast. Uh, I don't think it's the move. Uh, I I entertained it last week with Ben. I don't think it's the correct move. But uh, while we have a third podcast host on, I wanted to uh, delve into this a little bit more. So, Joe, uh, what are your thoughts about Reggie Jackson coming off the bench potentially? Uh, I would coming off the bench. Um, there would be one thought on that, and that is no. Um, that's like no. They, I'm. Who are you starting then? Are you starting Ish? Are you starting Jose Calderon? Are you saying we don't need a point guard? We're just gonna start Galloway or whatever the heck we do there. I mean, no. I he has disappointed this season for a lot of people, and I get that. I get why he rubs a lot of people the wrong way, uh, but <laughs> they certainly, I mean, the irony there is it's like, you know, Reggie Jackson can't shoot enough. So let's start ish Smith. I mean, it's just, people just hate Reggie Jackson and I get it. And he's brought a lot of that on himself, but no, there's no way he should be coming off the bench. I think you should be trying to get him more minutes with the bench. Um, because on the season, I actually don't have these numbers pulled up, but like he's only played like um, 20 some, like 30 some minutes the entire season without Blake Griffin on the floor. And like 20 some of those were the game Blake Griffin missed. And they actually got him a few minutes against the Celtics without Blake Griffin on the floor, which was nice, although they didn't hardly even use him at all. But I'm okay with him getting more minutes with the bench, but bringing him off the bench is just, that's not a good idea. They don't, I mean, it's, Everyone has talked about this a lot in Pistons Twitter and such, but it's kind of like as imperfect as Reggie Jackson is, he's kind of your guy for now, and there's not really a another good option. And I know one thing you've touched on, Laz, is the idea that the Pistons starting lineup actually needs more ball handling, not less, um, to sort of counter the idea of just put Langs and Galloway in the starting lineup and just have three guys who can really shoot and Blake's running everything. Ben, uh, what did what did you think? You, we talked a little bit about Reggie Jackson coming off the bench, but uh, kind of go back into that for us, please. Yeah, so for me, like it's not. I'm not concerned with who's starting. The starting five isn't as important to me when it comes to talking about Reggie Jackson. It's more about what Joe was just saying, which is, you, you know, he and Blake Griffin have played a ton of minutes together, and it it just doesn't seem to maximize Reggie's strengths. It seems like you're sort of forfeiting the thing he's best at by playing him with Blake Griffin all the time. And that's putting the ball in his hands, letting him run the pick and roll. Um, the only opportunity for him to do that consistently appears to be uh, with a second unit because Casey seems to be pretty much all in on Blake Griffin is, you know, 70% of your offense when he's out there. Uh, and he's essentially the hub. So, you know, I'm for exploring any way to get more out of Reggie Jackson. Um, if I were to move him to the second unit as a coach, I would be trying to frame it more as a promotion rather than a demotion because the reason you would do it is to give him the ball more and to let him use his skills more uh, because he just – he has not been the same player this year. And uh, I some of it may be health, but I think a lot of it is just use. I don't think he's in a – position where he's going to thrive. So, I mean, I'd be keeping this in my back pocket um, and, and I would really be thinking about how do I, how do I adjust my rotations so that I get Reggie involved more with the second unit where, um, you know, if you assume Jose Calderon is your second point guard, if you assume Ish is your second point guard, Ish and Reggie are, are similar players, but obviously Jose and, and Reggie are very different. So uh, I would look to, put him in lineups where he can have the ball in his hands. Um, you know, it's been good for Stanley Johnson. Um, you know, how good that will continue to be if Reggie gets in the second unit. Laz, that was a good point that you raised that last week. We don't know the answer to that. Um, but yeah, so for me, like, you look at the way that the Boston game was closing. We've talked about Jose being out there and whether he should or not have been, and he probably should not have been. There's no question about that. But 
um, that's got to be as difficult if I'm Reggie Jackson as coming off the bench, like not being out there in winning time, only having played, you know, 20 some odd minutes, that's got to be as frustrating as it can get. So I'm not super worried about, you know, egos or, or attitudes at that point. I, I would look for ways to promote his best skills and, and try to communicate that with him as I make the transition, whether or not he starts is not the most important or interesting question to me. That's fair. That's fair. I think, so I've seen this, the desire to take Reggie Jackson out of the lineup and replace him go like one of like three ways. Uh, one is like traditional point guard X. So that's Isher, uh, Jose. We have just like shooting as much as humanly possible. So that's like Langston. And then you have like uh, the few, I guess what I would I kind of think of as like the future is now. And that's like, you start Bruce Brown alongside the other two wing guys and like, let him bring up the ball and like only bring up the ball or uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like Kyrie Thomas because Kyrie Thomas shot 50% from three in the G league for like two weeks or something. And so each, each one of those has its, its own uh, issues and pain points. But I think the, the main thread that's like running through this entire discussion is that like Dwayne Casey is not utilizing Reggie Jackson in a way that's best suited to his talents. And that's something that Ben like explicitly laid out. And that's something that Joe kind of talked around, but he had a thread uh, on Twitter like earlier this week, explicitly laying that out. And like, it's just, I don't know how you can, I don't know how you can watch the Pistons over the last three years and then look at what Reggie Jackson is doing now and being like, Oh, he's like, he's not good. It's like, no, he's, he's a, they're using him like a completely different player, like a player he's never been in his career. And like, maybe that, maybe that might be why he's not having success. Like, I don't know. That seems, that seems kind of reasonable, but uh, I think the, so the desire to have like a traditional point guard is just like, we like ish, ish is good. Ish is uh, five man lineups with ish are successful. Um, ish pushes the pace and uh defends quote unquote defends and uh jose (laughs) Jose, yeah jose is the dude uh who just like distributes pretty nicely he's old and he won't like gum up the offense jose shooting like 14 percent from three though which like kind of runs a kink into all of this right now um shooter langston is just like make blake griffin point blake despite the fact that Blake is averaging like almost four turnovers a game and like has a career high turnover rate. Um, it's like we have this uh, superior offensive talent. We should just put the ball in his hands as much as humanly possible. Um, I There's diminishing returns with that, right? Like Blake isn't LeBron and that's, and that's okay. But like, you shouldn't try and use him like he's LeBron either. And then like the future is now is just like, I don't know even what to tell you guys. Like you, I don't know what you guys are like seeing. Like Bruce Brown should not be an NBA starter. Like he's he's definitely like an intriguing piece, but like he just like shouldn't start games for uh for any professional team. And so here, like here. let me let me yeah, here, let me hop it. in there a sec, okay? Um I've given this line a few times. So when Bruce Brown came to Grand Rapids for two games, I was covering those games, so I got there really early and saw the full warm-ups, right? You know how a lot of times when you go and you see um, pro players, whether it's warming up or just practicing or whatever, in like an empty gym, not guarded, you think, you know, some of these guys who are not good shooters are actually really good shooters. They're just not good shooters by NBA standards. You want to know who is not one of those guys? Bruce Brown. That dude could not throw the ball into Lake Michigan while standing on the pier. I mean, <laughs> if you think he should start, more power to you. I hope you're also ready to lose an awful lot of basketball games because he is not ready to get any minute not just not start he shouldn't be getting any minutes as the primary ball handler that would be very very bad he looked he looked overmatched as the primary ball handler with Grand Rapids he was just such a phenomenal athlete that he offensive rebounded his own misses constantly um he's he's nowhere near ready for that in the NBA so sorry you can keep going no no I mean that is that is excellent context because uh, a lot of people think of Bruce Brown like as the point guard of the future, and it's just like Ugh. the you ha- he has a very long way to go to make that a reality. It's possible. It's on the table. It's like maybe like like fifteenth percentile outcome, but like you shouldn't rely on that. You should rely on like something a little bit lower, and that is 
playing him to his strengths and not making him the starting point guard on your team that wants to make the playoffs. Yeah, and the way I've come at this conversation is from a totally different perspective, I think, than a lot of people are hating on Reggie. Look, I am not the biggest fan of Reggie Jackson's game, but I am a big fan of the Pistons, and I want them to succeed. So when I talk about, well, maybe moving Reggie to the second unit makes more sense, it's not because I want to demote Reggie and diminish his role. It's because I want to maximize his role, right? It's because he and Blake just, it doesn't bring out the best in him. So you know, from the perspective of, oh, I just hate Reggie. Like I'm not even there and I haven't been Reggie's biggest fan since, you know, the trade happened. So for me, it's, it's totally about how do I make the the best use of the roster that we have because I want the team to be successful. All right. That's, that's a solid like eight minutes on Reggie Jackson, who clearly is the best point guard on the roster, whether or not he should start. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on to something actually a little bit more positive. Andre Drummond had a very, very good week. He averages he averaged uh, 18 points and 17 rebounds, six uh, stocks, which is in combined steals and blocks. He averaged six stocks in uh, three games this week. Joe, uh, what did you see from Andre that was uh, different from uh, prior stretches of this year? Um, I mean, look, I am as big an Andre Drummond fan as they come, so I I see Andre Drummond as being awesome 24 seven. Um just to be totally honest about that. The big thing that has been a difference maker, I think, and this has sort of been progressively as the season's gone on is he's gotten more comfortable with his role in the defense, because obviously it's, it's very, very different from what it was last season where they had him attacking ball handlers out on the perimeter all the time, being super aggressive and such. Then this year, obviously it's mostly a drop coverage. And particularly at the start of the season, he was very clearly struggling with, um, getting himself in a spot to where he's not, you know, out attacking ball handlers, but also not just letting guys get into the paint willy nilly without any sort of resistance. And that's been a big difference for him is that just basically getting comfortable with, you know, being able to place himself in the right spots and such like that. And another thing that's helped, and I think in particular, this helped a lot um, last night against the Celtics is that the Pistons perimeter defense has gotten a little bit less leaky at times, which helps him immensely because oftentimes this year it's been so bad on the perimeter that Andre's just put into impossible spots defensively where it's like, well, either I can try and defend the ball handler or I can stop them from just the big from dunking it, but it's impossible to do both. And I think for stretches at least um, over the past week or so, it's been not that where at the very least the perimeter defenders are kind of sticking with their guys to at least somewhat of a respectable point. So Andre's able to just sort of do normal help defense instead of, well, plug the first hole that's there and hope they screw up the pass to the big man, you know? So I think that that's been a big help, but I think the main thing is just, he's getting more comfortable in the defense and his defensive role. And he's just sort of figuring it out and seeing plays as they're coming in, playing them accordingly. Ben, uh, what did uh, what did you see uh, that was a little bit different this week? Or if uh, are you more like Joe, where you didn't really see anything different at all? Yeah, I mostly agree with all that. Um, I think you know, with Andre, he has these stretches where he just gets disengaged for whatever reason, and it's not entirely clear to me why that's the case because he's obviously you know a huge part of this team, especially this roster, and it just seems like he goes through these handful of game stretches where he, he's just not mentally there. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that it can't be a coaching thing, right? He's had several coaches at this point. Um, I hope it's not something we have to live with. I hope he can still grow out of it. But right now that's the kind of player he, he is. Um, I, I think positive things. He, he managed to produce a little bit against Joel Embiid. He didn't get totally destroyed by Joel, which is a positive thing. Obviously, Joel's in his head. We, we all know that story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of just Andre. He's He goes through these slumps, and then the next thing you know, he's he's stacked together a week like this where you're like, hey, you know, when did that happen, right? I mean, he's 20 and 18 and 6 or whatever it was that you said. Um, he's, he's capable of that kind of st- statistical production when, you know, as a fan, you're sort of watching him and, and feeling disheartened, but then the next thing you know, like, you, you know, you look at the box score and, he's just been a beast. Right. Um, 
So yeah, I don't think there's anything too different about his game. I don't want to overanalyze it. I just think he has slumps, and this week he, he got out of that funk that he was in. So for me, the, the thing that was different was, like, on the year, Andre's averaging 18 points on 15 shots, right? And that's that's relatively inefficient. This That's something that Steve uh, Henson, uh, one of the guys who works at DBB with us, has been harping on for, like, I think quite literally Andre's entire career. But it's something that's been true for Andre's entire career is that he's not uh, an above average uh, efficient big man. Um, and what we saw this week was Andre averaged 18 points on 12 shots or 12 and a half shots, if I remember correctly, which is, you know, much more efficient and not as much uh, waste in his offensive game. Uh, you saw the beginnings of this definitely in the game against Philadelphia, like you mentioned, Ben, where uh, Dre was, you know, playing within himself, not necessarily trying to go out and drop 40 on Joel Embiid, but just like, you know, taking what the defense gives him, um, especially without Blake, they put the ball in his hands a little bit more and he distributed a better job of like distributing and um, playing that, uh, that Santa Dre that we've seen in the past. And uh, against, against Boston, um, you saw a lot of his work was done on the offensive glass. They did a decent job early of, uh, doing the thing where they get in the ball early in the shot clock. If he establishes position against somebody smaller than him and like semi transition. But other than that, like he didn't get a lot of those uh, post-ups where he like kind of backs it out and then, um, you know, tries to move on Aaron Baines <laughs> and, uh, and ends up with like a fading lefty jump hook. We saw a lot less of that this week. And that was, was that was more encouraging to me than some of the defensive improvements. I think uh, that Joe and uh, Ben mentioned specifically just because if uh, we can eliminate those those three shots a game and have Andre still produce you know somewhere north of like 16 17 18 points like that kind of solidifies that makes the offense better and that solidifies what I think his role is in his mind and uh, just prevents some of these long lulls that the Pistons have where they're just like not scoring the basket. It's like I, Andre realizes like, Hey, if we're not, it's like, if we don't score for three minutes. That doesn't mean it's time for me to like take a lefty jump hook like that. That's okay. Like we can, we'll do some other stuff. Like we'll, we'll give the ball to Luke and like Luke will, you know, pass me open. So he's just playing more within himself, I think was the thing that uh, inspired me uh, the most this week. Okay. Uh, you know it would be a you know it would be a helpful way to maybe make that easier for him. What? Maybe let him run some pick and rolls with Reggie Jackson. Just a you know crazy thought I had. Just there's just an, an idea. idea. Yeah, it's almost like they've done that before. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, just a thought I had just now. You can keep going. No, I mean, or like even some high lows with Blake Griffin, right? Just being slightly more inventive offensively, but, you know, taking away the thing he does poorly and kind of giving him this, this thing he does, he does well. It's like, maybe, maybe that might have positive benefits. I don't know, man. I don't know anything about basketball though. So who knows? (laughs) All right. uh, So the other thing I wanted to talk about was the, uh, the Jose Calderon experience. Um, Ish Smith is going to be out, I think, like another two weeks at the absolute minimum. I don't expect to see Ish until 2019. Um, And so we're going to have Jose. uh, It's going to be a festival uh, around Jose for at least uh, the next three weeks. Uh, Ben, uh, what are you uh, how are you feeling about the Jose Calderon experience? (laughs) JCE. So, look, his his limitations and his drawbacks as a player are just incredibly obvious, right? So thinking about this from a positive lens, I think the things he can do in a limited role, and and I'd like that role to be capped at like 15 to 18 minutes, as you mentioned, Laz, 20 plus probably goes a bit above and beyond what we, we really need from him. But I think what he can do well is be sort of like a conductor of the orchestra. He's not a guy who looks for his own shot. Historically, he's good at making open jumpers, even though he's struggling this year. Um, but he's very patient, and I don't mean just looking for his own uh, shot, but I mean just overall, he doesn't rush into sets. He doesn't put guys into awkward spots on the floor. 
and I think he gets guys engaged in whatever the particular set or strategy is on the offensive side of the floor. So I think he does a good job involving guys. He's obviously a better than average passer, even at 38 years old. Um, and I think he's just a total change of pace from the two point guards the Pistons have played this season. So, you know, I don't want to see lots and lots of Jose Calderon this year. Um, but I do think he, he's been relatively productive in spite of his limitations. Uh, and, and as a third point guard, I, I think he's probably given a whole lot more than most people expected. He's certainly been better than I expected, um, all those limitations in mind. Um, and, and I think he sort of fits in terms of being a um, sort of an off-the-ball shooter. Um, Laz, I know you like to have additional playmaking and additional ball handling, and I think that's a legitimate concern. Um, But I think he works right now um, for what the Pistons kind of need out of this, um, you know, issues injured. We got to have a third guy step up and fill the void. I think he's been okay. And and okay is way better than I would have expected. So so I'm I'm feeling all right about it. But I think it's because I'm realistic about the fact that I, I know what he can and can't do as a basketball player at this point in his career. That's fair. So, so Joe, on a scale of, all right, on a scale of Spencer Dinwiddie to Steve Blake, where is, uh, where is Jose <laughs> Calderon on that scale for you? Uh, he'd be just above wherever Ish Smith falls on that scale. <laughs> Not an Ish Smith fan, huh? No, I like Ish Smith. Just Jose Calderon is probably better than he is. Um, so first off, Ishmith doesn't play a lick of defense. He has he, his favorite thing is just to foul three point shooters. He's too small to switch across any positions. He's constantly out of position. Calderon is not a downgrade on defense. Calderon, even though he's only shot like what you said, like fourteen percent from three this year, he's I literally one of the best shooters to ever live. I and he'll he'll shoot better if he gets more extended minutes. Um, so here's the thing for you, okay? Jose Calderon draws more fouls right now than Ishmith does. Like that's a that is a real stat. He he draws more fouls when he's on the floor than Ishmith does, and he's a better passer than Ishmith. And he averages more assists, better assist turnover ratio. I seriously think Jose Calderon's probably better than Ishmith. The worry is that Jose Calderon's thirty eight, so I don't know if he can hold up over major minutes. But I think that it's hardly even a drop off there, to be honest, um, because. You know, we've, as you brought up Steve Blake, Pistons fans know what uh, old point guard who clearly doesn't have anything left in the tank looks like. Uh, we've seen that with Steve Blake. We saw it last year with Jameer Nelson. And that was a worry with Calderon when he was brought in, uh, that he may well be a guy where it's just like, nah, he's he's run his race. He's, he's done with. And he clearly isn't that. And I seriously think that there's a very good chance that by the time Ishmith comes back, Jose Calderon will have performed at a better level than Ishmith. Uh, but I'm not sure that I trust him to continue to do that over like an extended period. But I think if it ends up being, you know, whatever, two, three more weeks, I think there's a very good chance that Jose Calderon will have outplayed what Ishmith was doing. So Joe, in your mind, does that make Ishmith expendable in trade as like a $7 million expiring contract? Ooh, 100%. I had this in my notes and took it out. I want to hear what people think yeah, of this. 100%. He is a guy... Um, if he now he needs to come back healthy, obviously, but um, he's actually the guy more than pretty much anybody else that if the Pistons wanted to try and make a deal, he's their best option. And it's not just the idea that well, Ishmith isn't as good as a lot of Pistons fans think. Um, it's that he is the most theoretically expendable. He's a bench player who's an expiring uh, contract, and he's a guy who a team that wants to win games could actually potentially want. You know what I mean? Um, he's a guy you can plug in. He's your backup point guard now. And so because of that, it's like, I'm Reggie Bullock is a guy that you could do that too as well, but he obviously plays a much larger role. Um, Stanley Johnson is a guy that is an option for them to trade, but he'd probably be not as attractive to a team trying to win right now. Um, and also of course he's a restrictive free agent, so there's a better chance for them to keep him. So it's just kind of falls into the right combination of expiring contract. Who's a useful player now who doesn't play a really big role like Reggie Bullock does. So I think there's a, he'd be him. He'd be one of the main guys that you'd be looking to move if they were to figure something out, but no matter what, it's going to be very difficult for them to make a significant trade just because of their salary cap situation. Yeah, that's understandable. My concern with, 
I think Ish is sort of expendable, but I would be concerned that like if something happened to 38 year old Jose Calderon, then we like would be in the neighborhood of like Bruce Brown backup point guard. And like, that's not where I want to be as an organization. And so I'm a little worried about that. And like, obviously there's dudes in the street, there's dudes on the G league. Um, Joe, I think you've brought up the potential of like Zach Lofton playing some point guard in Grand Rapids as something you'd like to see. And like that also intrigues me because Zach is a very athletic dude. And like, if he can do some point guardy things that that opens up uh, a nice world of possibility. We've, we've seen like Luke Kennard at point guard be sort of a thing during the summer um, before he was hurt. And so like maybe you run into one of those scenarios, but that's still not, uh, that's still an unknown to me. And so I'm not a huge uh, necessarily like fan of that. Uh, well, no, go ahead. here's kind of the thing is no matter if the Pistons make a trade, um, just because of their salary cap situation, they're going to end up weakening a spot one way or another, right? Like there's pretty much no trade that the Pistons make that doesn't result in them having a spot where it's like, yep, I don't feel so great about the depth there. Like that's just, so that's one of the reasons why, quite frankly, I'm not actually a huge proponent of um, them needing to make a trade. I hope that they're looking around, looking to see if they could, you know, swindle somebody basically, but I I'm not on the, oh, they must make a trade because with most trades you try and work out, it's going to result in the Pistons having a pretty significant weakness somewhere at the very least with their depth. So, yeah, that's just kind of, if you're making a trade, that's a reality that's going to happen. So, Ben, what what would have been in your notes about uh, trading Ish Smith? Well, I was just going to pose the question, like, if you could trade him for a late first, early second in – the upcoming draft, right? You don't have to wait two years to get this. You know, does losing Ish Smith knock you out of playoff contention? And I think the the thing with Ish is he started off the season playing so well, but prior to his injury, his play was falling off a cliff. Um, So to me, I, I think I lean towards no as well. I think you could sort of piece together some sort of awkward, third point guard if you found yourself in that situation for a handful of minutes a game or a handful of games and I think you can still make a um, as good a run at the playoffs as you would make with Ish Smith in your roster um, so yeah I mean if I could trade for you know if there's a team that's that needs to shore up the point guard position and they're in playoff contention you know maybe somebody gets hurt or something like that and I can get a pick in the next draft out of it I mean I I think I would do that because um, their their salary cap situation isn't good in terms of free agency. One of the best ways to keep, get cheap talent is the draft, and and I really like what they did in the draft, you know, this past season. So that that would be something I think I would pull the trigger on. I will say I think I would attribute some of Ish's poor play to his injury. I think he strained the groin earlier in the season and was like continuing to play through it, and like maybe that's part of the reason why he was playing poorly. But uh, definitely, he, he had fallen off a cliff after his first like ten or so, or so games. Yeah, and his three point shooting in particular had been steadily just taking a nosedive, and, and his three point shooting was really the thing that was driving a lot of it. So I, I don't know how much it growing matters or not, um, but it's a fair comment yeah. either way. Well, did you see um uh, his his sister was yelling at um a couple of our guys on Twitter about that, that he was trying to play injured. So there's, there's at least some truth to that, but here's the other thing is that it's not just that he was falling off a cliff. Like he was probably just regressing to the mean. I mean, so even now, okay. So when he was hurt, his play was falling off. His true shooting percentage is at 48.3% for the year. That's still above his career average. Like that dude is one of the least efficient scorers in the NBA and has been his entire career. So it's just, that's kind of how he is. And, you know, he can, he has games and stretches where he hits enough shots that it works out, but he just never draws fouls. So he has no backup plan for nights where his shot doesn't fall. He doesn't get to the rim. He doesn't finish at the rim. It's almost pure jump shots. And so it's just, yeah, I think that it's not even necessarily so much this fall play was falling off a cliff. It was just his play is regressing to, the point where Ishmith is as a player, just that's the player he is. That's, and that's what happens. All right. So 
this is now the open floor section of the podcast. Uh, Joe, we uh, we hand you the mic. Is there anything in particular you would like to talk about before we uh, we start wrapping it up? Okay, I've got one thing. I okay. suppose um, you y'all were being a little bit like politically correct with um, the Reggie Jackson situation earlier. Can we just like say the truth and say it's not just a well he's struggling in his new role. It's not just a, they're using him differently. They're being incredibly stupid. That's what they are being. Like they're like okay, there's this guy who his entire career has been a mediocre three point shooter and a mediocre defender. So let's try and make him a three and D player. That's just incredibly <laughs> stupid. And I get the whole, well, you want to run the offense through Blake Griffin. There is not some rule that says you can't for like eight possessions a game have Blake Griffin be a spot-up shooter while Reggie Jackson runs a pick and roll. In fact, that's actually a pretty good idea these days. Blake Griffin's shooting almost 37% from three on like six and a half attempts per game. That's Anthony Tolliver. He's literally shooting like Anthony Tolliver. So there's no reason to not do that. They're not doing it because they're stupid. That's literally what it is. And I think, honestly, I think they're blowing it with that um, because if this team is going to succeed, they need that third guy. Um, we all know Blake Griffin is the man as long as he stays healthy. Andre Drummond is the man in very different ways from Blake Griffin, but he's also awesome. Those two guys have been the absolute pillars that are keeping this offense and team afloat. Like um, their true shooting percentage is still the worst in the NBA, but their offense is not the worst in the NBA purely because Andre Drummond is basically Jesus on the offensive boards. So yeah, I think that we can, you don't need to mince words and talk about, well, he's in a different role, whatever. No, they're being stupid. That's what they're being like. They're not just, well, he's playing off the ball more. He's taking almost 50% of his shots from three. His previous career high was like 29% of his shots from three. And he's never running the pick and roll. And they don't like, and that's one of my main reasons why I don't think they should move him to the bench is that it's like they've proven they don't have any interest in Reggie Jackson running pick and rolls. I charted it the other night. They have Bruce Brown run more pick and rolls than Reggie Jackson. Like clearly Dwayne Casey thinks Reggie Jackson is not any good at all. And I think that they're blowing that. So there, there's my open floor rant. I'm, I'm fanning myself from the heat from that take. No, <laughs> I mean, so they're clearly not stupid. They might be being stupid about this particular thing, but like, I have to believe that they're seeing something that, okay, no, you're right. They're, they're being dumb about this particular thing. Um, <laughs> Reggie, Reggie is, I'm see, I be, I am politically correct about this just simply because like, so they're trying to trade him, right? They it came out in the uh, Adrian Wojnarowski Zach Lowe uh, TV half hour extravaganza thing that they're trying to trade Reggie Jackson. Um, if you look at what Dwayne Casey has done in the past, the offenses he's run in the past, they've all been uh, centered around like a a relatively inefficient uh, main guy and a more efficient but uh, less used better three-point shooter at point guard i'm talking about like the there's not like really a like one-to-one apples to oranges comparison between demar Derozan and um blake griffin but like those are those are the main guys on casey's uh team so far and like they would have been better suited putting the ball in like kyle lowry's hands more often but uh they, they didn't do that as much as perhaps they should have and like maybe that's just something it seems to me that Dwayne's philosophy is to just put the ball in his best guy's hands as much as possible and just kind of everything else kind of falls by the wayside in favor of that. And so like, that is something that definitely like could be improved, but it's a little bit late for in the game for like Dwayne Casey to like change his, his coaching philosophy. So like in, so in my head is like, there's, there's this other stuff you do um, as an aside to that. Like you do some of the stuff where you play Blake and, or uh, you play Reggie and Dre without Blake or with the bench you uh you play you play Reggie um you know at the start of the second quarter when like both Blake and Dre are sitting right there's if you're not and like kind of let Reggie like call his own pick and rolls uh, in that way and kind of see see where you go from there instead of just being like uh instead of acknowledging your own uh stupidity I suppose all right uh 
it's only fair then that uh, Joe got to rant. So Ben, is there anything in particular uh, you would like to you'd like to rant about? <laughs> I don't have anything to rant about yet. Um, I, I I'm going to reserve the option to revisit Dwayne Casey's coaching when we get to the All Star break because I'm not I'm not pleased. I don't I don't like what I'm seeing, but I'm not quite ready to go full rant. Um, all I'm going to say, and this is actually sort of a positive thing, is. John Lure has played some competent NBA minutes over the last few games. And man, if he could give 15 minutes a night of productive big man basketball, that would be huge. Um, so uh, John Lure, the NBA basketball player, might be a thing. Uh, let's hope it's a thing because we could really use a little bit from 10 million. Here, can I quick? Sorry, good. Can I just quick scoot in on that a sec? Because, like, that's another thing. Why on earth is Zaza Pachulia playing for this team? That guy's terrible. He is not good. He makes you actively worse. Like he his turnover percentage is like the same as Blake Griffin's. Zaza Pachulia turns the ball over as much as Blake Griffin does. Like it's just it's just absurd. So yeah, I'm fully behind you with you there, Ben. So, Please give John Lure more minutes. Zaza is like the the inverse of like this uh the Reggie Jackson thing, where like the the team just plays really well when Zaza's on the floor and like there's no numerical or uh like statistical explanation for it but like go look at go look at the five-man lineups with Zaza in them they're all pretty good like in a way that does not make sense and like would not explain in the way that you could not explain with the way Zaza has been playing and so like I'm uh, I'm a little bit I, like Lure has been playing much better. I've been encouraged getting something back, like getting $10 million worth of something instead of $10 million worth of nothing is a huge marginal improvement for this team that is much needed. Exactly. Uh, but like, I don't, I just don't know if for whatever magical reason, like John Lure is going to have the same magical effect on a five man lineup that Zaza Pachulia does. Well, the thing is, there's room for four big men. Like, they they're playing Blake Griffin too much. Like he he's getting old. There's a chance he could wear down. Like they need to have somebody else in the rotation if you need to rest Blake for a game or two. Um, if Lure can be a competent big man, that's right now. There's only three in the rotation, and Zaja, as Joe's pointed out, it's questionable. So, I mean, getting getting him reestablished as an NBA caliber player would be, as you put it, Laz, a huge marginal improvement. So I'm, I'm going to keep watching it. I'm hoping it's real. I'm really hoping it's real because I, th- I think he can contribute, and that would be a good thing. Um, can I just say one, one last thing? One last so thing. Just because I, people get angry at me over this. I want to make something clear. I don't like hate Dwayne Casey totally as a coach. He does good things. Like. I say they're being stupid about the Reggie Jackson thing. That's referring specifically to Reggie Jackson. Like I like the way that they've they're playing defense at this point. I'm pleased with a lot of things on defense. In particular, I guess um, they are playing together much better. There's been no bull crap about guys complaining about shot attempts or anything. Like I mean, if Dwayne Casey wasn't head coach, guess what? We would have heard about Reggie Jackson complaining about not running enough pick and rolls, right? Like, these are things Dwayne Casey does that are good things. I just I want to make sure that I didn't get any angry people in my mentions telling me that I hated Dwayne Casey. I just, there's some things I don't like about him, but the, he's not a total disaster. That's man. fair. I will say that uh, it is very unlikely that under another coach, the Pistons would be like fifth or whatever they are in three-point attempts uh, on the year, like in the league. And so, like, that is, a, that is a welcome improvement as someone who has been begging the Pistons offense to just be, like, better in general forever just shooting more threes just taking more threes is, is a great improvement um all right so they play the pistons play milwaukee on monday they go at minnesota on wednesday and they go back to charlotte on friday i uh, got back to charlotte that house of horrors uh ben are we still above 500 uh next week um i don't think we'll be above 500 but i think there's a fighting chance we'll be at 500 that's fair. I'll take that. Joe, uh, what do you think? Well, they've got one guaranteed win against the Timberwolves because Andre Drummond owns Carl Anthony Towns like no one else. 9-0 and against him in his career, if you count the All-Star game last year. 
so they got that, at least one that guaranteed does not win. So count. I think they're going to be can't count in all-star well, games. I'm, well, they're 8-0. He, he's 8-0 against him without it. So I'm just I'm going to count the all-star game so it's 9-0. I'm actually it's funny. I've tweeted that so many times at this point that like I'm actually really invested in the Pistons continuing to beat the Timberwolves more than I really have any right to be but i need that to keep happening because there's so many people that love carl anthony towns so much and it's just i like to needle him with that you know i andre drummond's better than carl anthony towns carl anthony towns has been much better since the jimmy butler trade but uh they also like just lost to phoenix so i I got no idea what's going on down there um i think ben's correct i think they'll be 500 i don't think they'll be a above 500 um if they manage to find a way to sneak uh the games in uh, minnesota and charlotte that would be huge um i think they play they play atlanta after that and then like the schedule eases up for like three games and then resumes right back into a four-game road trip followed by like another five-game road trip into in january if i'm remembering correctly and so like schedule's not gonna get any easier you guys gotta play better and like that's that's just the way it's gonna have to be all right. But at least yeah. they're healthy. <laughs> Cross fingers. Uh, knock some wood. I don't have any wood <laughs> on my desk, on my desk but uh, yeah, we're going to find some wood. All right. Uh, Joe, what is the uh, best way to, for people to yell at you when uh, Andre Drummond is 10-0 against Carl Anthony Towns? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck or go into Reddit. That's where most of the, the venom comes from. Um, I'm told all sorts of mean things. So if you think you can come up with a creative insult, Reddit's the place to do it because it will be compared with the best. I am. Uh, I am. I often peruse the Piston subreddit. Um, you will not know it is me. Do not ask. Um, it may be if you like recognize the way I write, uh, you might like kind of figure out who I am. But like, yeah, man, Pistons Reddit is a uh, is a cesspool. Um, feel free to like hate on me, but like, yeah, you guys got to like, yeah, work through work work through some things. My goodness, uh, <laughs> Ben, what's the best place uh, for people to talk to you in a more positive way? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm one of the key contributors over at uh, Pistons Reddit, so you can navigate the cesspool. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I've never been there in my life. Um, I. I I am on Reddit for other things, but not the Pistons. Uh, Twitter, at BR Golker. Um, yeah, hit me up there. I'm on the blog occasionally, but not as much as I used to be, as you all know. So Twitter is a good place. And, uh, you, of course, you should be following me on Twitter, at uh, Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you guys. Uh, actually, I don't know when we'll talk to you guys, because like, Christmas and stuff is coming up. But uh, we will talk to you in the future. Uh, see you later.